1: War Story episode time. People who've been listening to us for a long time, or people who feel like going back and listening to our older episodes, uh, will note that we used to end every episode with a war story that teased the next interview. And then we started doing this thing where we were churning out uh, episodes very quickly, but sometimes uh, the interviews got shuffled around in order for whatever reason, and so we stopped doing the war stories within the episodes, but we kept recording
2: we kept recording them and we've got a really really wonderful now collection of war stories and in this episode we're gonna bring five of them to you which have our usual sort of war story treatment which might be some music uh, from uh, from our composer case and also uh, maybe some sound effects here and there just to kind of uh, underscore some bits of the story but you one thing you will not hear is either myself or Ben uh, asking questions unless it's sort of an off the cuff thing or you might hear maybe some laughter in the background but for the most part no it's just the uh, it's just the different people who've been on the show, our our featured guests, uh, talking, uh, telling the story, and uh, having that sort of This America Life treatment.
1: So our first two that we have coming up are, firstly, is Russell Carpenter, who if you're listening to the sound of my voice, you probably know who Russell Carpenter is, even if you didn't hear our interview. Go back and listen to the interview. He's amazing. Might have shot a little movie called Titanic.
2: And that's where his war story is from. His war story is from Titanic, and you should definitely listen to it. It's, it's a lot of fun. And then following that up is uh, Jakob Iure, who, of course, shot Chernobyl. And he's got a different sort of uh, sort of war story. So it's very much uh, two different, uh, very diverse uh, war stories. And then we have a little break, and then we got a, we got a few more.
1: All right. So let's uh, get going right now with Russell
3: Carpenter's War Story. I have perhaps about 145 war stories from Titanic, but I'll I'll focus on one because I don't think that many people know that the very iconic scene where uh, Kate and Leo are in the front of the ship and she says, I'm flying, was actually shot more on a soundstage than it was actually outside. And this happened by mistake. We were in a very uh, weather-challenged situation down in Mexico, where we needed to shoot this sunset scene, very important to the movie, but the weather was not cooperating and properly. Every day, we had a huge fog bank come in and obliterate our sunset. One day, it looked like we were actually gonna get that, that long-sought-after sunset, and we broke what we were doing And basically, in a white-hot panic, moved the entire crew from the stern of the ship to the bow of the ship, which was not easy because the ship was not built for moving a a film crew around. It was built to be seen, and we had to take our small cranes and have big cranes pick them up and move them to the other end of the the ship. By the time we were ready to go, we were actually in the middle of the sunset. Uh, We got the actors out there. We had a very long uh, crane with a remote head on the end of it and we just started filming. And it, it was basically a uh, 11 takes of rehearsal because every time we did a take, uh, Jim would decide that maybe there was something better and he would ask the camera to do something else. Our poor uh, focus puller just, just tried to hang in there. But by the end of our short, Short window, which we managed to extend by bringing some lighting in to simulate the sun, and keep the effect of the sunset going on long after the sun had gone away. But we had 11 takes; seven of those had actually pretty good focus. When the next day Jim saw that footage, he really loved it, and he said, "This is fantastic," but we don't have the scene. So, and this this is just a tribute to what Jim knows about things because people think of Titanic as a a film that led into the future of uh, CGI technology, but he used techniques that reached far into the past too. Basically what he decided was that he would hire an artist who would paint the sunset on a very large background. And this background in the movie business is called a cyclorama. And it's really a technique from the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and maybe into the 50s. So uh, you would see something like this in Wizard of Oz or Gone with the Wind. But he decided that this was the way he was going to go. We brought a, a piece of the bow onto a stage and I was tasked to recreate the lighting that I had done months before and uh, make it look like the sunset that we actually shot outside when we had real weather or real ocean. The trick basically was to move the camera like they were out on the open ocean. Of course, we use the old blow wind through the hair kind of thing, but I kept the focus rather shallow because I didn't want to, to really give away the fact that it was a painted background because the background was really only about 25 or 30 feet behind the actors. After we had gotten all of this and we got most of the the scene, Jim said, I need a wide shot. And so we pulled the camera back and what it looked like to me from where I was standing was two actors, or at that time two stand-ins, in front of a painted backdrop. And I told Jim, I said, you know I don't think this is going to work. I mean, to me it just looks exactly like what it is, a painted backdrop. And Jim just knows how much of a shot to use while the audience is under the spell of a scene. And he said, I think think we'll shoot it and I think it'll be fine. And he ended up using what I thought was going to be a very short shot for a very long period of time during the movie. But I think he knew by the time this shot came up, the audience would be well under the spell of the voyage of Titanic. So I, I'm glad I survived that day because I, I didn't know if it would uh, quite match. But now, I look at the scene, uh, at least on my DVD, I look at the scene and I, I am very hard pressed to tell what was shot outside and what was shot in the studio.
0: War stories. This is uh, Jakob Hyre. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast. In the beginning of my of my life as a cinematographer, I shot a lot of documentaries where the city or the location, the place, you know, is very much part of the of the story, you know, and often the city becomes a character. And for Chernobyl, we never got to shoot at the actual place, but we shot in Lithuania, which was part of the Soviet Union, and we were there for you know for eight months almost. Uh, in Lithuania and in the Ukraine. When we were in Lithuania, I was staying in an in a apartment and every day you walked to set or you were picked up and, yeah, or you drove to set. And every day I passed this quite big building in the middle of the city, a green building. One of the days I discovered or I saw there were some holes in the concrete. Well, the, sorry, the building had been turned into a museum and the holes were actually bullet holes. And then I realized that this is a building that had been part of, you know, of, of history and As much as the country, Lithuania itself, has been part of a very dark history, you know, many armies have gone through Lithuania. From Napoleon, during the the Second World War, the Nazis went through Lithuania and uh, it became like a transit country for many armies during all these wars. And in the end, it became the KGB, um, the Soviet secret police, headquarter in Vilnius, this building. It's now been turned into a museum and that's something that I, I passed that building every day to work and back from work and many of those freedom fighters they were captured and they were in in jail and tortured and killed in that very museum where well, it was Gestapo headquarters and then became the KGB headquarter and that really set the tone for the working day for the day on set where we had to tell the story of Lithuania through the story of of Chernobyl. And later on, we even shot a scene or a couple of scenes in there in the corridors of the the KGB headquarters, which was also a prison. We shot scenes there and and in the very cell where many of these Lithuanians were captured and held and, and, and died. They were also, we also shot scenes in there where Comi, she's, well, she's a fictional character, but she is uh, you know, when she's imprisoned in, I think, in episode three, she's held in one of those uh, cells. War stories. I'm,
1: I'm so glad, Ilya. I'm so glad that we're getting these out. I mean, we, we again, we've been doing these with, uh, n- if not every interview, sometimes we don't have enough time to do it but we've been doing it with most of the people we've been interviewing. So I, I'm, I'm really stoked that we're finally getting them out as listeners. Let us know what you think of these.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it too. And actually I think that uh, I really hope that people will share this episode. I'm hoping that it'll kind of get picked up sort of like in the circuit of people going like, Hey, you know, uh, here's something interesting. And, and I shared this, uh, you know, occasionally we get people who share our show. And I think that uh, when that happens, it's wonderful. But uh, people who've heard it before kind of know what they're into they they don't really know about the war story. The war story is different. If you are someone who thinks like, oh, I've already shared this to my friends, share this one. It's it's different from all the others.
1: Our first war story is uh, Ellen Curess, one of our bucket list people to get on the show. We were so excited to have her on. Uh, so uh, first up is her. Then uh, David Mullins, who's got a fantastic war story as well. David Mullin, who, uh, who recently won uh, an Emmy for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, correct? David Mullin did win an Emmy for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah, uh, he sure did, and that's uh, good for him. And
2: lastly, uh, we've got Kira Kelly, who, of course, uh, I interviewed recently. And uh, Kira has uh, a story that I think a lot of people can relate to—not just people who work as a, a cinematographer on set, but uh, anyone who's ever had to work with someone who, let's just say, is a little bit difficult. Her her war story will will definitely resonate with you.
1: Ooh, very exciting! Cool. So here, uh, first up is Ellen Kuras.
0: And now war stories.
4: In terms of war stories oh my god there are many but one thing that I I remember from years ago is when I was doing my first studio picture here in LA it was a mod squad and we were blowing up a car on the hillside so I thought wow we're gonna blow up a car I'm gonna wear a dress today because we're blowing up a car right so So I drive up to the place where, you know, almost a set, and in the old days, I don't know if this is still true here, but the Teamsters were great here in LA. You know, the DP could drive right up to set, and they would valet your car right from where you were. You know, you didn't have to go to crew parking or anything. So I drive up, and just before I get to that area where the set is, there's a PA that stops me, and he says, hey, um, gotta go to crew parking. and um, he sort of looks and he sees I have this dress on. And I'm like, no, no I'm, I'm the DP. Um, I can go up there. They're going to take my car. And he's like, right, right, right. Yeah, you're not the DP. He's like, got to go to crew parking. <laughs> Yo, I'm the DP. <laughs> I know you don't believe me, but I really am. And I got a car to blow up, so I got to go. <laughs> so finally, I convince him to let me go, right? Right. I still didn't believe me he was like you're gonna get in trouble so i'm like whatever so i drive up and of course the teamster takes the car and then um you know cut to an hour later i'm there we're about ready to blow up the car and i'm getting all of the things prepared and i'm there you know on an apple box of my dress and i happen to see the D- the pa and i said hey um hey and he looks at me with this look of shock in his eye and i go hey come here Be a double
0: espresso.
5: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I
4: didn't want to be mean, but it was like, hey, you know, don't judge me by the way I look.
0: War Stories.
1: So this is David Mullen's War Story.
5: One of the strangest things that's happened to me on a film shoot was when I was doing the movie Big Sur with Michael Polish, which we did up in the Big Sur area which is all just one road, which is highway one along the uh, cliffs there. We were based out of Carmel, it was our hotels, and then we were shooting south of uh, Bixby Bridge, which is where the actual book takes place. Well, just before we started our uh, final few weeks of pre-production, a landslide came and cut off Carmel from Bixby Bridge. So in order us to do our day of tech scouting, we had to drive south through Salinas, cross over the mountains, three-hour journey to get to south of Bixby Bridge to scout all the locations south of the bridge like Napente and the town of Big Sur and, and the canyons. But then we had one location north of the landslide, so we had to go all the way around and come back and scout on the other side of the landslide. We got to the other side of the landslide, big three-hour detour, and I got there early with our car with the director and before the rest of the crew showed up on our Tech Scout day and we noticed that there were a bunch of residents all being allowed to walk the length of Highway 1 where the landslide happened. Once a day they would open the road up for people to get to their that lived on the other side of the landslide. So Michael and I wanted to see what the landslide looked like and the repair work on Highway 1. So we joined the crowd wandering through this landslide area. So in the middle of this crowd, I basically lose the director. I can't, it's like, you know, like, it looks like something out of a war film. People had their possessions in their hands. They were carrying groceries and they were crossing on, walking on the highway. So i'm following this crowd i get to the other side of the landslide and i turn around and suddenly these guards say okay you can't go back i go what do you mean well it's only one way and now it's closed for the rest of the day it's sunset and literally i'm on the other wrong side of a three hour detour the entire crew is now north of the landslide i'm south of the landslide the army corps of engineers won't let me go back i have no idea where the director is there's no cell service there on highway one i don't know how to tell anyone now that i'm trapped on the wrong side of this landslide. And I don't know what I'm gonna do, the sun's going down. I'm not near any hotels, I'm not near any phone service. I'm I'm gonna have to hitch a ride to the town of Big Sur, maybe, and stay in a hotel. By luck, a woman who had just had surgery had shown up late. They said, well, we're gonna let her walk across in her wheelchair or whatever. Uh, You can cross at the same time. It turns out the crew f- figured out that I was trapped on the wrong side of this landslide. So at sunset, there's all these photos of me like like a prisoner exchange program. Me and this one other person crisscrossing each other on this Brixby Bridge, where the, right just uh, north of the landslide and me rejoining the crew. The whole crew are like laughing their asses off. But I almost got trapped on the wrong side of this road not with no way to get back to the production.
0: War stories. All
2: right, Ben, this is Kira Kelly, War Story.
6: So my war story was this job that I ended up doing. And it was the closest job that I, it was really the closest I've ever come to quitting a job. I've never quit a job. But I was, um, I was kind of miserable the director who shall forever be nameless was not a nice person and it was uh, it was one of those things where you know you know we touched on this a little bit it's like you know you're gonna be at work for at least 12 hours a day you're gonna be away from your family and yes we have to be serious yes we have to get our work done but let's enjoy life a little bit you know that doesn't have to be miserable uh this person seemed to enjoy miserable um, so for me, it was really, it was really kind of difficult and it, we kind of got to the, you know, at some point in the job where if I would make a suggestion, he would just be like, no, I don't think so. No, that doesn't, no. But then if I, I found the, the way, it, the workaround was like, if I told my, my camera operator, okay, suggest this, you know, go suggest we, maybe try this. The guy would be like, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> so he was just, I don't know, there was something about me he didn't, yeah, he wasn't a fan of. So during that whole job, I, I, started, like, I started thinking about this quote that I had heard, this like Bruce Lee quote, which is, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. It's like, be the water, my friend, like, you know, make yourself empty, formless. Like if you pour, pour the water into the cup, it becomes the cup. You pour the water into the teacup, the teapot, it becomes the teapot be the water my friend. And I kept like trying to in my mind just be the water. Be the water and just like to tr- really try to focus on acceptance, like I can make it through this. And so I found myself every day like scrawling this on my hand, like the H2O water molecule on my hand. So it was just like to remind myself. And during the hiatus of the job, which I was like really having conversations with my agents like should I be quitting? Should I do this? I decided to get the tattoo of it, which is like now on my hand of just like a forever reminder Of you know what, like this this industry can be kind of crazy, but it's just like you know you just have to figure out a way to breathe and accept what's happening and kind of and move on. And so yeah, it's something I still remind myself to this day. Of like, okay, just be the water, calm down, (laughs) we'll figure it out. Kira, be the water.
1: (laughs) War stories. All right, so uh, that was uh, That was our first war story episode, and believe me, we have. Plenty of other war stories uh, packing the musket ready to be shot all over your ear holes. Oh, man. Sorry.
3: That's a little dirty. A little, <laughs> little
1: gross.
2: You know what? Uh, we've got maybe a year or more <laughs> worth of. <laughs> maybe two years worth of war stories that we haven't uh, put out into the world. So, so this is really good. We've got some more content, some more other sorts of stuff, but uh, you might see these starting to appear on like the cinematography podcast, a uh, YouTube channel or Facebook channel, or one of these other places where you might be able to, to look at this. We're going to look at other ways to put this out there besides just the, the typical podcast. We're going to try to, you know, give wherever you might want to listen to podcast related uh, cinematography things we might try to put some more stories there
1: too excellent well i'm really glad we got to do this and uh we just need to thank uh, Kezala all for all of his music and alana cody for again for all of the producing that's right and uh hopefully we will have another one of these
2: specials coming up really soon excellent i look forward to it thanks again Ilya. all right thank you ben